Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, BladeDisgusting.com's Dead Pixels horror video game podcast, delivering a horrifying new episode every Saturday. I'm one of your hosts, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Pope. And this week we're discussing the recently released port package of the 16-bit run-and-gun horror arcade classics Zombie Ate My Neighbors and Ghoul Patrol, which have been released by Lucasfilm's Classic Games for PC, Nintendo Switch, and Xbox Series S and X. Um, it was also supposed to be released on PlayStation 4 and 5, but due to some type of uh, publisher snafu, it is still yet to be released. Uh, so Zombies Ate My Neighbors remains a, uh, a horror gaming staple of mine, so I'm really excited to talk about it with you this week, Neil. Yeah, yeah, I think it was one of the things we said almost from the beginning, that it, would be, it was one of those games that we said we must talk about this and. You were saying, yep, this is it. This is my game. This is the thing. <laughs> so, you have some experience with uh, Zombies Ate My Neighbors previously, right? Briefly, back in the 90s, when um, unfortunately I never saw it on Mega Drive Genesis over here, so which is what I had. But um, yeah, I knew people who had snares, and so they, they had it. And I played bits here and there, and that was like, cool to play, but it's like, yeah, one of those I didn't ever get around to getting. And so, yeah, this... When we were talking about doing this and seeing the port was actually out, I was like, oh, yeah, great. So I got on that and played a fair bit of that this week. And yeah, it's been fun, I have to say. Zombies Ate My Neighbors was probably my first horror game ever growing up. Like by the time I got around to getting a console, I think I had the SNES, but then everybody was a generation or two ahead of me. And I, it was <laughs> one of those things I uh, inherited it from my grandparents. And it was one of the few games that we had that my brother and I could play together because it has that couch co-op yeah. functionality. So that was another thing where it was like, oh, I can kind of rope my brother into play who isn't big into games. But also it was a very sort of formative introduction to horror for me at that same age. I think I was probably, I don't know, seven, seven or eight when I first played the game. Wow. And that was sort of the time when I started to take a liking to horror movies and then to have this game sort of like fall in my lap that had a lot of the elements of course they were uh mm. they were not as they were maybe more sort of subdued but at the same time there are enough elements within the game that i could kind of liken to oh this is sort of like night of the living dead there's zombies or there's uh mummies and vampires kind of like the universal monster movies that i grew up watching so this was really one of those sort of formative horror games for me uh, at a very very young age it also comes with ghoul patrol but that's a game that neither of us had played previously so i figured yeah. what we could do is we could just talk about zombies ate my neighbors first and then we can kind of dive into a uh, ghoul patrol and uh, contrast the two a bit yeah it's yeah, because there are some key differences that have to be said um, and the um lack of uh control showing is a, a bit of a pain in the ass in that one yeah. <laughs> it took me about an hour to figure out i could jump <laughs> so, yeah <laughs> so Absolutely, yeah. There's some uh, there's some stark differences between the two of them, which I think it's funny once we get into talking just about uh, zombies and then how Ghoul Patrol ended up being a sequel, but it wasn't intended to be a sequel originally. But uh, we'll save that for a little bit later. But I guess for people that aren't familiar with Zombies Ain't My Neighbors, uh, it was originally developed by uh, LucasArts and published by Konami back in 1993. Um, you could have up to two players taking on the role of either Zeke or Julie, neighborhood kids who vow to rid their neighborhood, and uh, later on in the game, far more sinister and varied environments of uh, all manner of monsters uh, while saving their neighbors in the process. Uh, so this is very much a sort of run-and-gun arcade game that I think it is clear from the opening moments of the game this is very much a 
clear like love letter to horror in general right i think that it's sort of bursting with homages to horror movies and it's not sort of just i think nowadays when you think about homage to horror in games it's usually drawing from a specific era whereas i found that zombies ate my neighbors really draws from almost 50 years of horror films in a lot of ways in terms of the wide uh the wide sort of genre influences that it's taking from yeah it goes clearly quite you know the overall tone is very b-movie-esque you know from the title yeah. itself to the box the original box art on the genesis of the scene it's like a typical look at that b-movie style you know you know spirally lines coming out someone shrieking and a naff looking undead coming at you sort of thing which is <laughs> brilliant because that's it and, you know Many of the early references are to those kind of zombies. You know, one of the earlier is called, you know, an evening of the living dead, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, when you see that on, on surface level, and I always remember back then that a lot of the first things you see are just the zombie stuff. And you think, well, so that's the game, just zombie, zombie, zombie. But each level then starts bringing other sort of horror tropes and then other characters and things like that. And it really is, as you say, like a celebration of horror up until that point in 1993 and you know which horror had was pretty much in a stage where people were sort of going ah look at horror it was good wasn't it while it lasted sort of thing because the 90s would come on and it was all like yeah sequel to this sequel to that and same old same old and yes it was at a stage where it was doing a victory lap if you will before it retired it seemed but um, (laughs) so yes in that sense it, it, it feels like bit of a time capture for the the whole genre and it's just understands that really well I think it understands what it's trying to be and you know it's kid-friendly gateway sort of horror experience as you said yourself you know I was explaining this to my son you know when he was watching it this week that it is oh this is a reference to that this is a reference to that because you know all this stuff he hasn't seen yet Um, but yeah he, he gets that and it's kind of cool to sort of get that across and yeah it is really quite remarkable when, when you get through to it quite how many homages they, they sort of pack into there it, I mean these days the things they do in that game will pretty much just be like loading screens you know between levels of something if it was a spoof or a parody you know that, because each level does feel like that in a way it's like this oh this level is this this level is that and I mean you know, down to killer dolls to chainsaw wielding maniacs and <laughs> like hedge mazes and everything. It's just, it, it's, it's nuts just when it gets going. Yeah. And that's what I think I'm surprised how well it holds up all these years later, since this mm. is probably the first time I've played this game now in almost 20 years. But all of those things that we've been talking about, whether it be sort of like the enemies where you have, like you said, the killer dolls, the chainsaw wielding maniacs and the kind of clear homages to horror films, Uh, that those are referencing and obviously of course the environments as well like you start in a neighborhood which might as well be an elm street type neighborhood and then you have like the mall um, and you're exploring like ancient pyramids later on all of these things don't feel overbearing in a way that nowadays i feel like when developers try to do a lot of like very heavy homages to horror it has a tendency to be like okay but what else is there more to this than just the homages whereas I was surprised in a lot of ways how well the gameplay holds up. And while we'll get more into it and it's not without its faults, I mean, from a just an arcade aesthetic, I find that the gameplay really 
takes all of these different influences and whatnot, and it makes it into a gameplay that actually complements it instead of it just being sort of this shrug of a vessel of gameplay yeah. for these things. Um, and I think that the game, yeah, once you sort of get past the first maybe 15 or 20 levels, like there's a huge difficulty spike. But again, and you're mentioning sort of this being introductory horror, I think that the way that the game is structured and sort of just the way that it introduces all these different horror elements early on, it provides so much of a variety that it really does sort of captivate that love of horror. And then maybe the next 30 levels might be a little overkill in terms of just recycling animations and whatnot and sort of just the vast difficulty spike that gets into almost sort of like ludicrous levels of uh, having to like pre-plan for future boss battles and things like that. Um, It just makes for an experience that early on feels very sort of welcoming. And -hmm. I found that that really took me aback and that's something I didn't really remember from my time as a kid playing it is just how inviting the game is in terms of presenting these horror elements and also just the gameplay in general like for the first seven levels or so there's not a great deal of challenge but then of course it scales up and up and then you kind of have to rely more on um kind of just facilitating the different types of items and weapons and things that you're going to come across and the best uses for them but just in that regard I find that this game holds up incredibly well as still being very sort of welcoming introductory horror. Yeah, and I think that was always the way and the strategy of a lot of games that were successful in that era. Knowing that they were going to be following a template very similar to other games, and as much as this has this uh, horror aesthetic, I could think of a good 20, 30 games I played during the 90s that were this, you know, but with a different paint. And, but it is, you know, what they do with the horror side of the package of it that makes it different. That's how you stood out then with, with a game, you know, when everyone else is doing exactly the same thing and that we don't have these big mash of genres going together like we do now. You had to stand out from your art style and your theme. And that was it. And that would send you a long way. And that is, you know, what they did so successfully here because. You know, at the heart of it, it is just, you know, like so many other games, but it does it well and has that kick to it, you know, that really suits a lot of people. And, you know, so many people remember it so fondly as a result. Yeah. And I think that the fact that you play two kids Hmm. really like it's not something that I appreciated back when I played it back in the day. But now, like since I've seen uh, I just saw Monster Squad like yeah a year ago for the first time and now that's all I could think about while I was playing this and just how perfect the setup is for you playing two kids that are monster hunters essentially in this game and how that feeds into the B-movie element of the game Um, it makes for a a very unique experience in a way that I hadn't encountered in a lot of these types of games and it really just complements all the aspects of the game I think especially like your main your primary weapon is a squirt gun with holy water right I mean think The first time I played the game and that was it, I was like, oh, well, yeah, it's a kid's game. They can't have guns. But now having that new context of like Monster Squad and this game sort of facilitating that Mm. sort of persona in a lot of ways, it just makes for something really special in terms of it being this thing that is fully leaning into its shtick and then seeing how far they can go with it, right? So you go from sort of, you have the squirt gun with holy water and then you're using basically like soda cans as bombs to kill different (laughs) things and whatnot all the way up to like, throwing tomatoes and cutlery and plates and things at zombies and all manner of creatures that you come across. But 
it just gives the game this charm to it that I think, sure, it's not, you don't have whatever type of, I mean, with the exception of the bazooka, you don't have this sort of like standard artillery, but there's just such a charm and a personality to everything that I find really endearing. I mean, even when you use the bazooka, which you come across, and you can use it to like, obviously take out enemies, but also you can use it to open locked doors and walls and things like that. But you're a kid and when you fire the bazooka your character literally jumps back like two or three steps and just like little details like that that sort of permeate throughout both the environments the characters the enemies and all these things i find it just makes this game much more personable and charming which i think really helps it to separate from other horror games that maybe were aimed at kids of this genre where maybe they they were trying to be a bit too serious and then the limitations of sort of the age group they were going for, you can't really go full horror in that regard, but they might have been more resistant to that. Yeah, and I think the, while you know, horror in general was struggling a bit as we came to that decade, it was the decade that young adult horror really sort of burgeoned. But we had, you know, the Goosebumps is a clear jumping off point from here, if you will, for kids to want to get into reading about horror and it has that same sort of um, you know day glow aesthetic where it's just everything's very 90s you know in, in how it is and some of the things you could do in this feel very much like that as well you know like the, the transforming into a monster thing for a bit and <laughs> stuff like that and as you said the the kid-friendly sort of uh, weaponry it was it's yeah it, it feels like part of that little wave in, in itself I'm just kind of curious like for you how do you find that the gameplay holds up? Because this being a port, um, it's it feels very true to how the game handled back in the day. And again, like I said, I hadn't played it in a long time and you hadn't played it uh, in a long time. So for you, I'm curious, just from a gameplay perspective, how do you think the gameplay sort of holds up in this port? Uh, generally quite well. I mean, the thing I noticed the most between two games uh, is the key thing here is that the sequel is very... Uh, slow compared to this you know, it's quite very much has arcade roots it's fast paced hmm. and you're matched for that with the enemy types and what they do but uh, yeah and it's just it's once you get the gist of what you're supposed to be doing you know and, uh, you know, you just have to collect you know save all the people you need keys to get in the doors it, it sort of comes to you in that way that most games back then did where you know you just sort of go on a tear and just end up in this sort of hypnotic trance way of doing things where you're just like okay just to the next bit to the next bit to the next bit especially when you try the level a few times and you say that familiarity and that comfort mm. in those early levels that once you've done it a couple of times you've pretty much just memorised where you had to go for each thing and do and take a minimal damage so you can go further later on and it's you know that again core to games back then because you know you didn't generally have saves or if you did it was password based like it has here so you can still you know save like in the modern sense and yeah so you often repeated the early parts of games and it yeah it does give you the tools to sort of try different things out a bit as well which is you know not always the case for games from the early 90s but it does it quite well. I, there's, you know, some typically, you know, that hangover from the coin-op era where games just felt like they didn't justify their price if they didn't make you drag the game out for a bit by giving you some bullshit moments. 
Mm. Yeah, as you said, that difficulty spike that comes later it is just very typical of that. You know, <laughs> again, so many games from that era where you can just go, yeah, I remember that point in that game where it's just like, fuck that, I'm not doing that anymore. Because <laughs> it's to, you know, when you've had to go so far, and especially a game like that, where you, you know, you're doing level after level after level, and then you get to this brick wall, it, it can be a bit, and while here it's a bit easier, right. because you have the option to just save outside mm. the password system and just do it how you want, it's still, you know, aggravating. In that and then, you know, there's the old bit of collision detection problems where, again, something born of the era, where I think I first really noticed it, I think the fourth level with the chainsaw guys and where in certain areas you kind of get stuck on invisible scenery and them and you can move and you mm. sort of just end up in this horribly frustrating, I can't get out, I can't get out, I can't get out thing. And usually it would only end in you sort of losing a life and that be it. And which is annoying because <laughs> at that early, you don't really want to be losing lives very easily. Yeah, so I was listening to an interview with the original game designer, uh, Mike Ebert, which is one of the features that's, there's like a 10 minute interview that's included as a bonus basically mm -hmm. for uh, the game. And it was really interesting to listen to him talk about this as an arcade game. And as somebody that didn't grow up in the sort of arcade era, I was of the generation where arcades were already on the way out. They were around, yeah. but it wasn't sort of, it, we kind of just like would jump between whatever our friends were playing or what was multiplayer, yeah. those types of things. And so, and also I was a kid, so I didn't really, wasn't really absorbing sort of the uh, way that arcade style games were designed, right? To be these sort of just like pumping more coins and quarters and things like that. But in replaying the game as an adult, I really appreciated that arcade style of play and sort of just the kinetic motion of the game, right? Because back yeah. in the day when I was a kid, like you just find whatever items you find and then you spam them to try to kill all the enemies. But there is a good deal of um, skill and item management mm -hmm. in the game and sort of like knowing when to pick your battles when you come across like a werewolf or one of the sort of uh, like mermen that jump out of the water that require a lot of sort of heavy duty weapons to take them out there's different ways to sort of just get around them right or you can use an item which would be sort of like the clown that when you deploy it it's basically like a uh, inflatable clown that the enemies go towards it makes noise yeah. and they attack it kind of like uh what you see outside of used car stores and things like that um yeah. <laughs> but also like you can take that potion that makes you a monster and then you're invulnerable and you can kind of like one one K, uh, ko enemies in one punch or you can equip a pair of shoes and you can run really really fast yeah. for a period of time um and i think that that's an element i didn't appreciate because there are definitely some levels that it pays just to speed past certain enemies, mm. save as many people, collect some items, and then just get to the next one. Because once you fall into that sort of arcade rhythm, you realize the way that the game is structured, like, okay, there's going to be a boss in the next three levels. I need these certain items or weapons yeah. to carry over throughout these next few missions. So maybe I'm just going to try to run through the next two levels and uh, conserve my item management and things. And that's one of those staples of horror and especially like survival horror that I wasn't able to appreciate, but in getting to replay the game and having this opportunity, it kind of gave me a new appreciation for the sort of strategic angle to this very sort of seemingly run of the mill, run and gun arcade game. Um, yeah. So there really are levels to this in a way that I can appreciate. 
At the same time, I had the same experience you did with some of the hit detection things in terms of colliding with the environment and getting stuck, or enemies backing you into a piece of environment, um, which are frustrating, and they're elements from that uh, from the original build of the game, which I find to be sort of a double-edged sword, right? At the same time, I'm glad that they were able to preserve this game and sort of it's not most pure because apparently this is the censored version uh, that came out because originally there was supposed to be blood and things like that. But of course, Nintendo was like, well, we'd rather it be just goo or purple or green or something, uh, which I don't have a problem with, again, because it kind of fits that B-movie aesthetic. Um, But at the same time, it would have been nice to see them maybe take the opportunity of porting this and maybe tweaking the code or something. I, I don't know how feasible that is, but it is one of the things where I was like, well, if you're going to port a game that hasn't been ported since it was released, maybe use that as an opportunity to maybe file down some of those rough edges or mm. something. And it's a minor gripe of mine because at the end of the day, like this is the type of preservation like that I've been on my soapbox about recently, right? Having an mm. opportunity to play this not on some ROM site on my computer with the keys, but to actually like play it with a controller, albeit a different controller than it was originally uh, intended for. But at the same time, like it feels very familiar. I mean, I played it, we both played it on Xbox, um, but getting to use that controller took me back to the days of playing it on my SNES and it sort of just fell into that rhythm after the first three or four levels where I was like, okay, item, item button, weapon button, and just item management while trying to maneuver these ever-evolving environments and enemies and whatnot. I mean, it just took me back to the days of playing that with my brother on the sofa, which for 15 bucks, which I think is pretty reasonable for a port like this of not only one, but two games, like, I think that that's a a bigger deal than some people maybe are making it just in terms of having, I don't have to dig out my SNES anymore. (laughs) I can just throw it on and play it on my TV as is. And I think I, in the, five hours I spent with it over the last few days, I think I had one freeze, which is far fewer than I ever had on my SNES. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the, the, saying about this, the only other time it sort of really popped up in the years in between, I think, was uh, on the Wii U as part of its virtual arcade. I mean, so again, you know, that, that at the time was as good as not releasing it at all because, mm. you know, five people had it. So, right. so <laughs> and, and of those five people, I don't know how many really cared for, for right. this game. So it, it gets to that stage where you do kind of need it to be on again somewhere. And yeah, not every port can be, you know, as good. And certainly in the, because this is, like we're saying it is Disney's catalogue now. And you know, certain games uh, from their past have been brought back with more care and with more you know, quality of life touches. But that can all depend on what they were given and what they had. You know, I mean, Konami had a hand in this, so you know, they're not the best for keeping up with the whole code. To be honest, <laughs> it's uh, entirely possible that they, they did the best they could with that. But um, yeah, it. Going back to the structure of it, you know, and saying how that whole arcade rhythm, um, it's it's crazy to think that at the source of it, and like you said, survival horror, the whole sort of looping background to to, to find what you want and so you know, keys open doors and stuff, it's Pac-Man. You know, Pac-Man yeah. is basically there as a source of survival horror in a way because you know you are going around a maze, you are getting you know doing your objective whilst avoiding the enemies as much as you can. Uh, and, to, and preserving your ammo, as you will, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, this is, does feel like the jump between that in, in evolution, where you have you know, Pac-Man and you have the zombies like and you have something like Resident Evil, you know, in terms of just sort of, which is you know, very much a slower paced version of it, but still, you know, a lot of going around in circles, making sure you don't die for as long as possible. And yeah, it's cool to think of it like that in, in the space of, you know, a few years. I mean, it's what, three years removed from Resident Evil? It's, mm-hmm. You can jump that idea that, that much in such a short space of time, which again, I think you can look the year or so between this and the sequel, you know, whatever you may say about the sequel, it, you know, visually is more impressive in a lot of ways because you know, technology moves so fast then, you know, that you would, you could release a game one year and the next year the sequel would look twice as good because, you know, they figure things out a lot easier. But, um, that doesn't mean it makes it a better game, but, but uh, <laughs> it, it's just nuts how quickly that can happen. Yeah, and I think one of the elements of the port that I really appreciate talking about the sort of arcade nature is the addition, and it's not the first time we've seen this. We see this with a lot of sort of the virtual console stuff, right? The option of saving at the end of a run or mid-run mm-hmm. uh, of a level and things like that, and that's an element that... I mean, maybe I'm not a purist like some, but it's an element that I can really appreciate, right? Because sure, yeah. it has the codes, uh, passwords, if you will, to sort of jump you ahead to certain levels. And those are very much the sort of milestones progressing through the game. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, being able to play and then have something come up and being like, okay, I don't have to play five more levels to get to a password or a code yeah. to get me back to where I left off. I can appreciate that. And while some might think like that makes it easier it makes it more appealing for me to go back and play it i'm much more likely to pick it up and play it if i know i can save whenever granted if i'm gonna die then i have to start over from the beginning and use those codes but it's like well i've played for an hour do i really want to push my luck and potentially die and lose all that progress and then have to restart but then have none of the gear that i had and whatnot and so that's an element that i really really appreciate and it made me play the game like granted the time frame that I had to play this before we recorded wasn't a lot, but I probably played twice the amount I maybe would have if I had to keep like hitting certain milestones and then dying mm-hmm. and then being like, do I really want to just play right? I only have 45 minutes. So I really want to like have to grind through 10 levels to get back to where I was. And it just makes it much more convenient and more accessible, which I think that games like this, it's really important that they continue to be made accessible, but also to be to be realistic i think in terms of just like i don't know how many people are going to be willing to play a game like this if they have to sort of power through and i don't know if you want to say just like be hardcore gamers or whatever but people that get through the certain level of difficulty that the later levels have Mm. that's not going to be for everybody and people are going to bounce off of that pretty quickly so to have the option of quitting and saving or just quitting and then it not saving like i think that that uh, giving the players more flexibility to meet where they're at is sure. one of the elements that I think I really hope continues with these types of ports and whatnot to uh, make these games accessible. Yeah, and of course, you know, with the Xbox consoles, you can also just turn the console off and come back to it another time whilst still playing another game, which is mm-hmm. uh, in itself remarkable. So you can literally just go, oh, well, I need to do this next, play another game, and you leave it exactly where you were, come back to it, weeks later and be exactly where you left off brilliant love that sort of thing 
I don't, you know, I've actually done that with a lot of the older games, you know, kind of, mm. you know going back to the Sonic games. It, you know, because it's with those, you know, it's a case of either I do it all in one go or I you just don't <laughs> abandon it normally because it's like, oh, but here it's like, yeah, great. They can just sort of come back to it and be, not have to load anything else up, just whoop, straight in. Wonderful. But um, yeah, I think there are, have been plenty of games from that, you know, the 80s and 90s that have come back with that sort of feature and features like that that really benefit from them. I, I think the Mega Man collections were something that really hit me for that because I really wanted to play those games. But reviewing them, the way those games are, would have been hell in the time that <laughs> I had. Had it not had its rewind function, its save function, all those things, that was great. Mm. And it made it so much more fun to play and sort of rediscovered why I enjoyed those games. Mm. And I think, yeah, more games, having those sort of features when they come out is great. But at the very least, just having save, you know, save when you want features for an old game where in some cases you didn't have any option at all um, mm. is wonderful at this stage. Yeah, and I think um, in terms of just the preservation of things, it brings up one or two minor critiques that I had of the port in that some things have been changed in terms of like the music, which again, mm. I'm pretty, I would assume that some of these changes are due to licensing, right? Because mm. it's been so many years and all these things. Um, I believe that a lot of the original music is not used in uh, like the different menus and things like that. And also they obviously the game can't play in full screen, which I was a little, uh, a little disappointed by, but at the same time, it's not surprising because of, again, like you got to think about the aspect ratio, but they're the art that shows up on the sides was a little distracting. I thought, cause it's kind of like <laughs> pulsating and whatnot. And I believe uh, a majority, like I would have been fine with just like, black black boxes yeah. kind of thing uh which i definitely would have preferred but uh i think my biggest gripe which they never claimed that they were going to include it but uh it's only local co-op i would yeah. have loved to have had network and this is one of those yeah. things where it, okay i understand that you're porting something and we want to keep the core of the game as close to the original as possible but the reality is is that you're charging 15 dollars for a game that had co-op and sure, you can still do couch co-op, but it's one of these things where it's like, this was an opportunity to take it one more step and try to in integrate online co-op. And yeah. I'm sure that would have been a huge headache. It would have been a pain in the ass. But at the same time, I feel like this game, you I don't know that you can bring games like this to the current gen and not have that sort of functionality. Because the reality is, majority of people don't do couch co-op and we're seeing games come back from back in the day that are being ported or remastered that they're adding that online functionality. Like I believe one of the Terminator, uh, not Terminator, one of the uh, TMNT games that mm -hmm. they were going to do an HD version of like that came back and that's going to have online co-op and things like that, which I would love to have seen in this, but it's just not the reality, unfortunately. Yeah, it's yeah, definitely unfortunate just given, you know, we're still in this sort of weird zone when everybody's able to go out and uh, have their friends around and stuff like that, of course, that thing. So, it's, yeah, it's, it, yeah, I get it, but um, I mean, it just feels like it's not that kind of port. Uh, it does feel that there are two sort of schools of port when it comes to these things, which is mm. uh, pretty, I should say. There's the reimagining you know, where they take basic ideas of what it was and they make a new game that is 
the vein of it. I think Streets of Rage 4, the, the TNT game they're making, pretty much they're taking everything that was about it in the old days and they're making it look and play new. Uh, then you just have the box standard looking ports that have special features uh, to make it easier to play, like um, the Mega Man games and the Disney Afternoon collection, things like that, where or Castlevania games, where you have the rewind functions and save things, and th- th- that's good. But then, yeah, you do get the occasional one, which is like, this is the game. You know, oh, and it has a save function. Yeah, mm-hmm. Because, to be honest, if you didn't have that, <laughs> that would be criminal. But, <laughs> like, um, yeah, those tend to be done for two reasons. Uh, one, because it would they haven't got the budget to sort of do much with it. Mm. And, but they know that it will make them a tidy sum, you know, if they, they put it out again. Uh, or they're just doing it because, yeah, it's just something to put out, and uh, that's it. And it, either way, it preserves the game, keeps it around. And a game, like we said, with a game like this, where the only way you could really play it before was on a console, is basically a dinner tray at this point. It, it's yes. not worth having it there, so here now on multiple consoles brilliant I mean I'm sure the, the Switch again is one of those places where it probably would thrive you know mm. and it'd be uh, place, but it would probably be better again if it had online talk for that you know or you know link to link you know, something like that would be great you know can't begrudge it. Mm. it there's been a few like that especially in horror games where I think it's stubs a zombie when that mm. came out earlier this year, and that was pretty much, yeah, that's the same game. That's fine. <laughs> that, it's like, and fine, that, that's fine. I think could have done with a bit more touching up and a few, you know, a proper do over. But that that's not why these things get re released, you know. And it, you know, as cynical as it is to say, it isn't. They aren't released just because oh, we care about the preservation of games and we want them still. There's very few developers and publishers out there doing that you know I think um, Rebellion are one of the few that really care about sort of finding older games and restoring them for that reason first and foremost um, but yeah in most cases it's just like we know there's a fan base for this if we're lucky it may do better than that and then if that's the case you know great they've got themselves an IP they can use again and you know you would hope something like this that maybe they could find a way to make a new game series or something but given the fact that you know I work for a horror game site and I didn't even know it came out you know really? it released you know it, it's um, not great <laughs> not great signs for, I imagine but it's out that's what matters it's there it's, it's about not perfect but it's there that's the thing, like, even with some of my gripes with it, at the end of the day, like, I, like I said at the beginning of the show, I don't have to drag out my SNES and track mm-hmm. down my copy of it, right? And just being able to turn on my current gen console and play it, and yeah, it doesn't have everything I would want. There might be one or two things that are different. Largely, it is the experience that I remember having. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they even included couch co-op in it, like, okay, when I have family over, maybe during the holidays or something, we can play it. But at the end of the day, like having this version is better than having no version that's been updated since the original was released. That's um, it. I will say you and I have played it on Xbox. 
Um, like I said at the top of the show, the PlayStation version, for whatever reason, uh, has hit a snafu in being released, um, and we're coming up on like almost a month since it's released, and there's still been no real update. Um, and I've read also that the port for PC, judging by the Steam reviews, it has not been optimized for controller. Um, so those are like, I mean, it, in terms of the uh, not being optimized for a controller, that's one of those things where it's like, if you're going to take the time to port it, I feel like you need to at least enable a more natural way to play this game. Yeah. Because I could not imagine playing this game on a keyboard and whatnot. But again, it's one of those things where we need to take the positive with maybe the negative at the same time where it's like, okay, we have a playable version of it and maybe maybe in, eventually they will adapt it to be able to uh, be played with a controller on PC. But I feel like it's just such a big deal, even if it has some of these faults in it that, hey, we have it at least and mm-hmm. we can move forwards with what we have. Maybe there can be updates and things like that or at least people are talking about Zombies Ate My Neighbors again, which is something that... As somebody that grew up with that, I never thought we would ever talk about. And yeah. just having the opportunity to do so is uh, is a treat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it did almost feel like it was going to get lost to time. You know, and yeah. It'd be one of those things that people sort of hush the talk of, oh, you should, we would love this game that came out back then. Yeah, called Somebody's Ate My Neighbors. And mm. Yeah, I mean, obviously the problem with uh, you know video game preservation and sort of that is that the audience is constantly shifting compared to say film or you know books or whatever because you know they hold up in a way that games don't always and mm. you know I, I see I said this before I see this with my son when he'll see a game like Zombie My Neighbors it will be you know it's like he's not entirely impressed to begin with because of how it looks visually and mm. you know, because, not just because it's old because he's seen good-looking old games, you know, and it, it's just a case of, like, this isn't why I like, this isn't why I'm used to it sort of thing. Mm. And I, I seen to you before this, that, you know, he remarked upon seeing Cool uh, Patrol that he felt that was better because, you know, it looked better, so it must be the better game. He is also, you know, the child that today said he preferred the Teen Titans Go commentary version of Space Jam uh, because... <laughs> It had fart jokes throughout, and um, which is fine. Yeah, it's, a, it's like it accentuates it for him. Yeah, so that's wild, by the way, that there is actually Warner Brothers quite brashly put out Space Jam in its entirety with the cast of Teen Titans Go just talking <laughs> over it in the way they do. It's so I essentially paid for that twice today. <laughs> so oh, I, wasn't, <laughs> I paid for actual Space Jam and then that version of Space Jam. <laughs> so, uh, Mad. They did at least cut out half the real time, real life bullshit on it, so that's something. There you um, go. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, it's it may find new fans in, in younger fans, but it's generally just done for the people who, who played it back in the day or heard about it back in the day and wanted to. That's fine. That's fine for games like this. But as we were saying earlier you could maybe have got to a new audience had you included a few things mm-hmm. uh, just to spice things up. But well, then, would it be the same game? That's one of those things where again, it's like a double-edged sword. I'm happy to have it. I'm happy to be, have a readily available version, an easy way to access the game. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, part of me is like, well, yeah, it's very serve. it serves my needs, but at the same time, 
it's kind of a whiff in terms of revitalizing it because that's not what this is. It's not really a revitalization of anything because, again, if those little touches that you mentioned would make it even more accessible from a game, from a uh, accessibility standpoint, like you said. Like, it's unavoidable that younger generations are going to look at it and be like, well, I mean, this looks like shit. But really, it's just because it's based on their growing up with like 4K or 1080p games and things like that. Um, but at the same time, it's just like, it feels like a missed opportunity to make something truly special. But at the same time, it is a notable achievement that in 2021, we have gotten uh, Zombies Ate My Neighbors. But I guess it's time for us to jump into the other game that is included in this uh, bundle, which is Ghoul yeah. Patrol, uh, which was released one year after Zombies Ate My Neighbors uh, for the SNES. Um, there was supposed to be a Genesis uh, version of it, but that got scrapped in mid-development. Um, and it was not originally supposed to be a sequel, but because of the sort of, even if it was a meager success, the success of Zombies Ate My Neighbors originally, uh, they wanted to sort of capitalize on that. So they made this basically a sequel, um, though I don't know who would know that based on the game being called Ghoul Patrol and the previous one is called Zombies Ate My Neighbors. But anyways, uh, how did you find this? Because this was the first time playing it for me, and I, uh, I assume it was for you as well. Yeah, I mean, I... I hadn't even heard of it. <laughs> and I bought the thing for Zombies Ate My Neighbors, and I was like, oh, and it has this game. But, oh, let's see. Okay, that's fine. And yeah, it was strange to start with. Because, and the, one of the gripes I had um, again with this is, you know, maybe it's just because we're in an age where, you know, games tend to throw up your controls a lot and say, oh, you know, this does this, this does that. That whereas you don't get that here, and finding it is next to impossible. So this game adds a jump, so you can jump obstacles, which I didn't figure out for a while. And mm. every time I saw like a weapon or a key sitting on a desk or a table, I was like, "How do I get it? It's not. Yeah. Like, I'll pick it up. I can't pick it up." Like that, and so I wander <laughs> around, and I just went to a point trying different buttons to see uh, you know, for, for cycling through stuff and then it was like oh they jump they jump brilliant <laughs> it's like because you just don't expect it with a you know, top down sort of game and it was like right. okay and that changed things a bit and it was like okay I like that um, I mean the opening level was interesting in that sort of first sort of copies Ghostbusters you know with the, the library scene and the, the floating books it just throws random shit in there. It just yeah. like, you know, like the, the big snails and things like that. It's like, <laughs> like what's that about? <laughs> right. And then I think it's the second level, isn't it, where it brings in those bullshit zombies that you kill and then they come back. Yep. You kill and they come back. And I was like, no, 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 no. That's that's shitty. I hate things like that. Whereas mm. like if you if you're killing something, kill it. You know, stay and be done with it. But it just. Yeah, and so in the end, you just think, don't bother touching them because there's no point. Right. And yeah, so it looks better. There's no doubt about that. It, it's visually um, more stylized. It, it reminds me more of um, those high end Amiga style games that, that came out uh, that uh, always looked like the best versions of everything you get at the time. And that was great, but I don't know, it, it's too slow. For a start, I think it, it can, when you compare it to the high-speed, you know, slick gameplay of Zombies Ate My Neighbors, it's very 
uh, it seems to be dragging you back a lot and it, it really does need to be quicker uh, as a game and I think maybe because they tried to one-up themselves in terms of how it looked that the game ended up being slower as a result maybe it, it feels like that to me anyway yeah, it's difficult to know if that kind of sluggishness, I mean, you're, it feels like your character's wearing like 25-pound ankle weights um, mm. in a lot of ways. It's difficult to know if that's a limitation of the technology or if that's purposeful because they're trying to balance the fact that there's a slide button, right? In yeah. addition to the jump, there's sliding, which lets you maneuver, obviously, environments faster, but... That's the only, like, you can't slide underneath uh, enemies that are floating. You can't slide under projectiles and things. So it's kind of strange that they would include the sort of, like, kinetic movement of the original and replace that with a slide button, which feels very limiting um, because of how just general movement feels and how that is completely screwed up. And, I mean, in terms of a jump button, like, it's completely unneeded. Um, It felt like they were overcomplicating something that at its core was very simple, right? And I think that going back to that sort of top-down run-and-gun arcade thing, you would think that speed would be at the top of the list in terms of functionality and gameplay-wise because that's what's so key to the original experience that messing with that is a very strange design choice. Um, I think also there's two other kind of just bizarre gameplay elements that they change where there's no mini-map anymore. That was such a big part of traversing the environment in the originals, right? Because it helps you keep track of how many survivors there are. And once you get within the general vicinity of them, that you get a little blip on your radar, which I thought was genius because you don't have a big stupid arrow pointing you in the direction to go in the original one. You can access this mini map whenever you want. And so it's up to the player to be like, am I going to explore this area myself or do I want some help just so that way? I'm not kind of just wandering in circles over and over, which is brilliant. And then they also changed the way that you end each level. Like in the Mm -hmm. original, once you rescue all of the neighbors, as it were, um, an exit door appears magically and you run into it. But in the original, the exit door just appears wherever the player is. So you don't have to go searching for it. In uh, Ghoul Patrol, you have to go searching for it, which... Was maddening to me because an entire part of this game is it's supposed to be okay. Some of these levels you're only going to survive by the skin of your teeth, basically. Yeah, there's a good chance that you're going to have barely any health, you might be low on ammo and these things, and it's like every second counts. And yet, all of a sudden, now I have to run around and try to find this door with no mini map. And the way the ghoul patrol tries to rectify that is they try to lead you in the right direction with these Mm kind of like uh, word bubbles that either say like, help me, which indicates that there's a neighbor nearby or exit. Yeah. But I didn't find that that really helped at all. It was kind of like they might be in this general area, but the general area is always right, left, up, down, but you don't really get a sense of the geography of anywhere. No. Again, it is one of those where you can feel the time you know you can feel when it was made because it's that sort of thing like well you know you're going to fail this several times so you'll get it by that time you'll know where the exit's going to be because you'll have done it hmm. and yeah that's fine to a point but it just making you go through that means you have to do it for an easy life you have to do it in a certain order hmm. you know, and that's boring you know I like that um 
you know, it's in the original game, it's more flexible that you could just sort of go around in whatever order you want to get the people and there's different ways to approach a level. Here, it pretty much feels like, well, if you approach it that way and go all the way there, you're going to have a long sword back here and it's going to be tough and like that. And yeah, it's just, it's regiments you, what you have to do. And I didn't get on with that. I mean, I was all right with the idea of like having the word bubbles and, you know, having them sort of veer off into the direction of wherever you're supposed to be going. You know, it's you know, basically just an arrow, but in mm. word form, but it yeah it just wasn't well implemented to me it was it just felt a bit like oh we've got to do something and we don't want the map and again the map thing feels like we can't add in add any more to this game because we've beefed it up too much and i think that that's what surprised me when i saw afterwards that the game was only a year after because mm. i was like oh Really? I thought it was at least a couple of years, maybe three, you know, because, you know, you had SNES games coming out much later, you know, even when PlayStation had already gone up and running and sat and that. But, yeah, it was very surprising to see that there was you know, barely a year between them. Functionally, their decision makes sense in terms of having the word bubbles pointing you in the right direction. But at the end of the day, like I liked in the original that I had a choice. And as a player, I always want to have a choice. Mm-hmm. Do I like I suppose maybe I would be more okay with the word bubbles if instead of you having a radar and stuff, you press one of the triggers and your character calls out or whatever, makes a noise, and then a word bubble appears in that direction, yeah. right? Because then it's my choice. Um, and you don't have these things sort of popping up on the screen that could potentially sort of um, block your view which again in a game where you're dodging projectiles and creatures and things like that i want every bit of real estate on the screen to be devoid of any sort of indicators or anything like that um i guess my other problem with the game is the art style in the sense that well i guess maybe just in terms of like how they tackle the aesthetic of horror in this one yeah whereas in the original they had this very sort of like classic nothing in the game you hadn't seen before, but everything had a certain sense of personality to it. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the masked chainsaw guys, right? It's kind of looks like Jason and Leatherface in one, but when you knock them over, they're kind of like on their ass and they're kind of like spinning around for a moment briefly, like little things like that. It adds a sense of personality, but also everything that was in Zombies Ate My Neighbors monster wise or even environmentally, it felt just very cohesive to that theme of the over the decades of the B movie. Yeah. Whereas like you had said, yeah, the opening of this game feels very sort of ghostbustery, but then I felt that nothing about the environments or the enemy types really meshed together to work. It kind of just felt like a smorgasbord of, Hey, here's a bunch of things from different horror movies you've seen. And yet there's no real cohesion to the environments or the enemies uh, as a whole. It feels like an offcut of what things they couldn't do in the first game. You know? Mm. Like they were like, oh, well, we wanted to do this and this and this. Let's just mash that together into a level. And again, a lot of this game just does feel like we spent the money on making the game look good. And now we're going to have to sort of draw back in other areas. And I think that's why you end up with so many levels where, well, we'll just put all this in this level and all that. It, that first level is a warning of mm-hmm. that happening because it, it carries on. You know, 
the second level has buildings, but it's a seafront sort of town sort of thing. But there's nothing really to connect it with that, you know? Right. Which is ironic because later you have levels that have stuff like that. And, you know, there's a Jaws type thing going on and like that. Right. But yeah, nothing fits. You know, it's just feels like, oh, well, we'll use this place and add ghost X, monster Y, and whatever, and then see how it goes. And yeah, it, it, it doesn't feel so much a celebration as um, you know, to use the Space Jam reference, it, it's like the new Space Jams, you know, in terms of like <laughs> just chucking a bunch of things at screen and hoping something sticks right. because people find it familiar mm. uh, rather than having a cohesive plan uh, to, to what you're doing. And yeah, it, yeah, it's something that clearly needed a bit more time, you know, to have a bit more of a Maybe you could have done with being on a later platform, even you know, just to give it the bandwidth, so to speak, to do what it wanted, they wanted to do. But you know, at that point, you don't know when your next payday may be on it, so you cash in, do whatever you want to do, mm-hmm. and they did. So, but yeah, the reality is, is that sure, Lucas Art did some of the work on the sequel but a large portion of this was outsourced. Mm. And I didn't realize that, but it doesn't surprise me because it feels like people that maybe aren't as married to horror or they kind of are just seeing what's popular in horror at this period. And they're saying, oh, we could do something like that rather than maybe sort of having a history with these different horror elements and whatnot and inputting it in a way that it kind of just feels like they all are working cohesively together within this world. I mean, the biggest tell of that is the weapons in Ghoul Patrol. It's all like laser guns and all of these things, or they fire these beams and whatnot. And it kind of just, it, I mean, that doesn't sound like it's a big deal, but half of the charm of Zombies Ain't My Neighbors was is that it's all of these very sort of just mundane items that are now your tools to survive. I mean, whole, yeah. a squirt gun with holy water in it, you're using a fire extinguisher to freeze people. You can uh, you can kill werewolves with silverware that you throw at them in one hit, like little things like that, which at the time don't seem like it's that big of a deal, and they seem sort of just throwaway little bits of information about the game. But when you kind of stack all of these elements together, it all just works. And in this, I was like, you start with a bow and arrow, which fine, and then you find like, okay, this is the ray gun that fires in a straight line. This is the ray gun that it kind of like does a loop before it hits its target or something mm. like that. And they all just, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to gravitate towards the ones that are the most effective, but this just feels like any other sort of top-down running gun game. It felt very Smash TV yeah. in a way, which Smash TV is a fine game, but a majority of that game is the aesthetic of that world and how everything works within that. Whereas that sort of thing doesn't really work when you're telling me that this is a horror game. Um, and like you had said, you go from one environment and there's like haunted filing cabinets and then there's a snail right outside that's like massive or it's just like, what is going on? This kind of feels like uh, like Alice in Wonderland after a while and it's like nothing really feels like they should be in the same world that they are in. Yeah, which yeah, it would be fine if they gave it an explanation. If there was mm-hmm. like, oh, oh, well, you know, something happened to cause all the horror in the world, horror films in the world stuff be released upon the world and so you have different mashups of things that would work but you know 
then again, there would need to be some sort of logical cohesion to it. And it doesn't, it does just feel like they were chucked together. Mm. I mean, the more I've read about it, where they, uh, the fact that, as you said, it was outsourced and it's a very small studio that got it, said everything about why this game ended up being made. It, mm. it wasn't to, oh, we wanted to do more. It was more of a case of, we want to cash in, you know, and yeah. use the cash in on what we had and rather, it's just, that's horrible. It, to me, very much reminds me of what came later with Devil May Cry and its first sequel, where, you know, uh, they tried to cash in on what they thought was good about that the original game and then whiffed it completely. Ironically, again, a game that looked better than the predecessor in a lot of ways, but didn't get it. Did not get what it was supposed to be doing through stuff at you that was kind of like what you remember and with no real rhyme or reason, pace or flow. And yeah, a lot of that feels true here with with Gold Patrol. And yeah, it's it's a shame because and but it doesn't feel surprising that I didn't know there was a sequel. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. It, it really does. I mean, it just seems like an afterthought like, you know, very much like like I said they, they wanted money for a sequel but they didn't want to spend money on it you know and again I get that in the 90s where you know they were looking at it thinking well kids will buy anything Goosebumps is popular because that came out in 92 the books and you know so we'll just make another one of these and people will be like oh yeah that'd be, we'll, we'll, they'll, they'll buy but pff, nah because you know, you think about it with the original game, kids aren't going to get half those references. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, and so, but that's not the key to it. It's because it's so focused on celebrating horror as a whole, you know, from its naff beginnings to, you know, it's more graphic and violent end. And it, this is very much like, oh, and this is other things. You know, like, I feel the fact that it started with Ghostbusters feels very uh, poignant, you know, to that game. It, it feels like, oh, what's the most popular thing we can think of with <laughs> horror? And, you know, even then, Ghostbusters for kids would be, yeah, they're, they're more likely to have seen that than anything else. Yeah, you know, there's no knock on Ghostbusters, it's just... It... <sighs> it it's more like they're trying to do it whilst trying to be subtle about it, but not. Whereas the, the original, you know, some people like my neighbours, they're brazen about everything they do. They're, they're not hiding that they're, oh, this is about that, this is about that. You know, they are pretty much telling you, this, this, you know, you can't confuse these killer dolls. You can't confuse this chainsaw-wielding hockey mask guy for anything else. It, it, it's all familiar you know, and that's fine, and that works, and that is why the charm is there because it knows what it's doing. The sequel feels almost ashamed, you know. It's, mm. I, I think, in horror throughout the years, there's always been that there's been a subsection of people who make horror media not because they l- enjoy the genre, but because it's lucrative to them in some way. Uh, or admit them or the company they're working for and so they just 
do what they think is horror. You know what? Right. Or, you know, skim through a magazine of oh, here's the top 100 scares of all time, or these, and then just cherry pick stuff from that, mm. rather than having an understanding of it's not just about being scared. It's not just about these certain monsters. It's not about that. This it's horror has appeal beyond just scaring. You know. Yeah. It's iconic imagery. It's the goofiness is just a bigger part as any blood and guts and terror. You know, especially when you think of that sort of any period, really, the the fifties and the B movies, the eighties with the increasingly silly slasher movies. It's always there. You know, it's fun to take the piss in horror and. Zombies Ain't My Neighbors got that. This just doesn't have that joy to the sequel. Yeah, I think that it's kind of like what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode where um, we were talking about how Zombies Ain't My Neighbors is very much in on it. It's kind of like tongue-in-cheek, every single thing it does, and it's not leaning too far into one camp or the other, whereas I found that Ghoul Patrol, again, I only played the first two zones of it, um, it just feels like they're trying to lean this more into horror, which was never the strength of the original. And that shows what that this does not. I mean, again, you're talking about a game that's a re- one year removed and there's still those limitations of, OK, this is going to be a kid's game. You can't really lean fully 100 percent into horror like they do here, where you're not going to have any of the sort of silliness in it or anything like that. It's like I found that it almost took it too seriously and. I think the biggest um, indication of that with the first area is that they literally essentially just like copy and paste Slimer from Ghostbusters, right? Mm. That's one of the enemies. But then all the other enemies, it would be one thing, I suppose, if every single enemy you could reference it to something, right? Which is very much the case with Zombies Ain't My Neighbors, and it doesn't shy away from that. Whereas with Ghoul Patrol, there's that one enemy that's very clearly just Slimer, which is fine. But then everything else you can't draw a specific reference from it. It's just as like a giant killer, uh, a giant killer snail, or it's a devil with a pitchfork, or it's a bookcase spitting books at you or something. And it's just like a bunch of eyes, you know, yeah, with a bunch of eyes floating. And it all just kind of feels very random, Mm. which it almost feels like they don't know what they're trying to do in terms of like, well, you're going to have some, you're going to have one reference and then a bunch of stuff that, I don't feel as familiar. So in that case, it's kind of like it makes that Slimer character the outlier almost, which then you're just like it that then it applies a bunch of attention to all these other creatures where it's like I almost wish you had just done what the original did in terms of have everything be no, uh, have everything be a homage to a movie or another game or something like that, because then it becomes this very kind of like cohesive package of this is the experience we're going for. It's horror we're going to take the piss out of these certain elements and things, but it's all in good fun. Whereas this, yeah. it's kind of like, here's a bunch of random shit. And then there's Slimer. And it kind of yeah. just always threw me for a loop to the degree. I was like, well, they kind of just stuck with this like Ghostbusters thing. And then I guess later it gets into Jaws. But when it's just one specific thing you're drawing from, it just feels like, well, is it really worth it then? Because if you're going to draw these very literal representations of things you need to go all out and make that the entire aesthetic it can't just be this cherry picking one thing per level 
because then that kind of just looks lazy. It looks like a lack of creativity, to be honest. Yeah, and it, like I say, it does have that sort of pretty thing to the Dark Lord, see what sticks thing, especially to that first level, where the more you think about it, the more things you realize they're chucking in. And while, you know, Zombies and Neighbors isn't exactly massively restrained, because you know, a few levels in, you're already seeing different types. It certainly doesn't throw multiple references at you in the first level. You know, that don't don't gel. You know, as we said, not only is there that, as we said, the Ghostbusters, the snails, the, the evil trees, the demons, the eyes, none of it fits together. And if I, I know it's not trying to be exactly the same game, but when you're cashing in on the idea of it being a sequel, you know, you, you should try and, and, and have the same sort of thing to it, you know, where you, you show a little restraint and eke it out. But yeah, it does just feel like yeah, you know, top load it with as much as you can in the hope that that will entice people into buying it. Oh, look, all this stuff. What else could they show? Right. Not a lot, to be honest. But um, yeah, it, it's I don't, I don't think it's particularly bad game right. in itself I think it's fine I think if it wasn't a sequel to the zombies my neighbors maybe it wouldn't be such a problem but because it is uh, and how different it is and how you can tell that it, it was made for profit first that it just feels nasty in, in a way that it shouldn't well, that's the thing. That's why I'm being so critical of it because it's not a terrible game. But at the end of the day, the reality is, is that it, Ghoul Patrol goes out of its way to associate itself with Zombies Ate My Neighbors. Mm. We know the reasons why, obviously, like we've been saying, they wanted to cash in on it. But it's so blatant that they don't put in any of the groundwork. They put in that that bullshit 10-second cutscene at the very beginning that connects it to the original game just by introducing the characters as... Zeke and uh, Julia from the original and then it just never references anything else about the game and there's such deviations from the tone set from the original Um, again if it was this was just Ghoul Patrol it has nothing to do with this other than it's another horror game from the era yeah it's a it's an okay game from that era an arcade game Um, which is fine it from it's not as memorable in my opinion but at the end of the day it is what it is for that type of game but it's the blatant kind of just trying to cash in on the success of the previous game that really irks me. And that I think introduces as critical of a conversation we've been having because it's on the developers. Then if they're going to associate it with the thing that came before it, even if it's at the last minute and it's a cash in that still opens up that criticism that you can't say you have to compare it by its own merits when it goes out of its way to to associate itself with something but not put in the legwork that justifies that in terms yeah. of there's no, there's like in the original game. Okay. There's this narrative that there is this evil doctor, doctor, I believe it's doctor. Is it tongue? Dr. Tongue, yes. I think, which is the mad doctor that's behind all the monsters and the kids eventually have to get to the end of the game and kill him. And then that supposedly saves the day. None of that is ever the overarching. It is the overarching story, but it's never in your face. You're almost never reminded of it. There's no, no. cutscenes throughout the game up until the very end, maybe. Um, but that's how you approach that because the gameplay comes first. And I find that Ghoul Patrol opening with this cutscene, it 
it just shows from the opening moments a misunderstanding of the direction that this needs to go in. And it's so clear that, yeah, this was only included so that way they can say this is a real sequel to Zombies Ate My Neighbors. But again, it does none of the legwork. It introduces a cutscene and a premise that you're just like, okay, well, the other game was 55 levels with one additional secret one, and you didn't need to know any of the story because it was never important. Whereas with this, it has to make this sort of pretense for why you're doing this. And I find that starting with a cutscene, again, it's such a little thing, but if you're going to start with a cutscene, you would assume that the story would be a bigger role throughout the game or that there would be a lot more cutscenes and all these things. Narrative is going to be important, but it just never comes up really and it's not important. So it's just a weird beginning to a game that overall sure is okay, but it's not a fitting sequel, which I think time has shown. Yeah, and uh, you know, I'm all for sequels to try something different, but those that succeed in that tend to play on the original in some way. I think, again, I say Metal Gear Solid 2 is a perfect example of that, where it's like, yes, it's divisive, and I get that people don't like what it does, but you know, the, the main thing it does is it still ties in, in a cohesive manner, the plot, the, the idea is the the idea is oh you're playing the first game all over again as a rookie looking at the hero of the first game you are the player that that's great that's smart having games like this or Devil May Cry 2 where you have a gist of the idea but you misinterpret why people enjoyed the first game in the first place uh, it, it's always going to fail because it's bland yeah you'll find an audience absolutely because there are always going to be people that will consume it for name value only or because it just does certain things they want it to do but you know when you're looking deeper into anything in terms of sequels and and this is true of anything any sequel no matter what you know no matter how vapid it may be you know it's keeping to the tone of the original and maybe making little playful tweaks to it that's brilliant you know think of every horror film franchise where the sequel does something at least where it's like yeah we know why you made this more money but at least you've realised what the reason is for, for the success in the first place you know you want people want to see more of these inventive deaths or they want to see more of that killer or whatever and this, you know, with Ghoul Patrol, it doesn't get why Zombies Ate My Neighbor was so successful and what made it tick. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's where the problem always lies. You need to understand what makes the original tick to make maybe not a great sequel, but a pleasing sequel, you know, to, to the majority. You know, to, to the people who actually gave a shit about the original in the first place, not just, well, we just want more people to buy, to, to buy this you know, sort of thing. Yeah. And I think, yeah, well, you and I are, uh, are on record at this point of being very open to wanting developers to take risks and try new things, but it really can't be a step back in terms of the core of what made the thing that came before it so successful, right? I think the the most telling thing is, is that in Ghoul Patrol, I don't have an issue with them including a slide button or a jump button. I don't no. think you need a jump button, but hey, I'm open to them including that. 
but not at the cost of like the movement speed like we talked about. And I think that that is like the core of my gripe because that fundamentally changes the overall way this game plays. And at that point, like how could you met in comparison to these two games, how can you go from that perfect arcade or for that game, like the ideal way that that game should play and how that feeds into the entire pace of the game and the way that you can sort of tackle different uh, levels in different ways and things like that. And then completely undo that for something new in the name of two new features that aren't needed. And they fundamentally change the overall way to a detriment, I find. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we're talking about a $15 port bundle that includes two games that are more or less faithful uh, to the original versions of them. Right. And I think that that in this day and age is a rarity. And yeah, a lot of our critiques have been in terms of well, a lot of my critiques were the idea that this is very much a straight up port to the point that, hey, I could have used some modern amenities to this. Yeah. But at the end of the day, when we've been talking about still how well Zombies Ain't My Neighbors holds up, Ghoul Patrol, it's an okay game, but it's included in its entirety. And as far as preservation goes, we don't get a lot of these sort of like moments where we get not one, but two games that are just in their essence. They're still faults. They're still things that they do really well. But at the end of the day, this is what they are. And everybody can, for the most part, can access them uh, faithfully. Hopefully for PC, they get that controller support and it's eventually released on a uh, PlayStation. But I don't know, man, as somebody that grew up with zombies, ain't my neighbors. I'm pretty happy that I can just throw on my Xbox and play for 10 or 15 minutes at a time. And it's not a headache to just experience that. Yeah. I mean, the, the joy of games that I love you know, from the past being on modern console never ends you know like I legitimately only really ended up owning an Xbox so I could play Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3 without having to drag out the PS2 again you know these things matter you know as we've said before and it's nice when you get, get stuff like this you know games that seem to be done for you know I think even if it is driven by money first, you know, let's be fair, most things are, uh, you know, as much as artistic vision is important and preservation is important, money is going to be the deciding factor. And But if that means we get you know, companies seeking out uh, old games and bringing them back, in, uh, that's fine, brilliant, great, I'll have it, you know, th- that's fine, because it make, ensures they are still around and there are versions of those games that at least no one's going to be like, oh shit, we lost the code to this again, you know, and have to recreate it from scratch. You know, one of the greatest joys in recent years for me in terms of an old game coming back was Final Fantasy VIII because it had always been said that now nah, they lost so much of the code, they'd never be able to do it again. It would be awful and like they could never recreate it. And they did. It made the fucking thing back again and they did it right and added all those new things that they added to the other ports and it was great to be able to play that game again as it was once again you know one of my favorite games excellent and in time i hope other companies will realize that that as much as remakes are great you know for some things uh capcom sony um 
to have access to a version of the older game is really good. You know, I love the remake of Resident Evil 2. Please, you know, to have a slightly rejigged version of the original would be so much better. You know, yeah. just, just, just come on. You know, you did it for the, the remake of the first one. Please, just give us that. It, those sort of things need to be done more. Yeah, and you know. This is the thing where you hope that examples like zo- this Zombies Ate My Neighbors and uh, Ghoul Patrol package, you hope that they do well enough that it encourages them to like keep doing things like this, mm-hmm. but you never know. But uh, as always, Neil, it's a pleasure uh, chatting horror with you for Safe Room. Yeah, uh, I don't know if it's just uh, the time apart as we've had to make <laughs> people not be aware that uh, we've had the episodes going out, but Jay's been on vacation for a little while now so we've uh, it's the first time we've been back together for a while so it's probably helped us take this episode <laughs> such a distance again you know yeah. So, but yeah but also I think it's brought up some points that as usual get me on my soapbox and, <laughs> <your> soapbox <laughs> and uh, uh, take it far uh, long may it continue as I say so, <laughs> so it helps when we're talking about something uh, as fun to revisit as Zombies Ate My Neighbors is. Yeah, it just shows. Doesn't matter how limited games were are, you know, because uh, when they came out, there's still plenty to talk about. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. Please consider following and rating the show on your preferred podcast platform. And for updates on the show, follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>